I remember when I first started playing rugby, people used to, you know, say I couldn't do this, do that. I was too small. I wouldn't make it. And for me, it's always motivation. You thought this, but you were wrong because you don't know who I am and what I'm capable of doing. But I do. You want to say this and say this and that? Okay. You can't limit me because you don't know me. I got a gift. That's Carlin Isles, 31-year-old who plays for the United States Olympic rugby team. And that gift he's talking about is his speed. Carlin is known as the fastest man in rugby. But he's more than just fast. He scored 202 tries, the most all-time in U.S. sevens. Some quick vocab for the uninitiated. A try is the rugby equivalent of a touchdown. Sevens denotes the number of players on the field, as opposed to 15, as rugby is most commonly played. What's amazing is not just that Carlin's a star player on a rugby team only a few weeks out from going for gold in Tokyo, but that he got here after discovering rugby on the internet nine years ago. Back then, he was basically living paycheck to paycheck and trying to qualify for the U.S. Olympic track and field team. He came across a video of rugby and decided then that he was going to use his track speed and his football background to become the world's fastest rugby player. And he did it. The story of how he did it is not just fun to listen to, as you'll hear. It's also useful, even for those of us too slow to ever dream of running like Carlin. Because though his speed is uncommon, he's only been able to harness it by overcoming something much more common, self-doubt. He says he has voices and fears that nag him every single day, telling him he isn't good enough. Maybe that sounds familiar. I know it does for me. And maybe learning about how Carlin found his confidence just might help you find your own. I'm Clay Skipper, and this is Smarter, Better, Faster, Stronger, a GQ podcast that goes inside the minds of some of the world's top Olympians and their coaches, trainers, and psychologists. I'm hoping to figure out how, on a stage where everyone's at their physical peak, the world's top athletes get a mental edge. Today, we're talking to rugby player Carlin Isles, whose story starts with a love of speed, going back as far as he can remember. I used to run and run and run all the time. Like my neighbor at the time, his name was Jerry. We used to throw this tennis ball as far as we could and try to catch it before it bounces twice. And I was obsessed with him because he was fast. So we'd be in the yard and we used to just launch the tennis ball, launch it far. And it'd be go boing, and then I'm just taking off. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, this is fun. So fun, in fact, that Carl would find any excuse to test his speed even when he wasn't playing the tennis ball game, including running up hills in the snow, and chasing after the school bus. I used to run hills a lot, man, to be honest. A lot of hill running, a lot of chasing people, a lot of chasing vehicles too. But I guess when I first started playing football and people started recognizing my speed and my dad was like, don't ever let nobody beat you. And I kind of just took that and ran with it. He ran with it, literally. But despite his dad's message to not let anyone beat him, one loss in particular still stands out to Carlin. I remember my first track meet, probably when I was in seventh grade, and I lost. I cried. I lost. I was like, man, I thought I was fast. And I remember I was like, man, I never let these people beat me again. I worked my butt off. I used to like get on the internet, find all these articles. I used to just study over and over again, study biomechanics, why they run so fast, ask questions, understand this, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to be the best I can be. And I used to watch videos all the time, and I still do. And I used to be at like 3 o'clock in the morning just watching videos over and over and over and over again. I would try to find whatever it is to make myself get faster. Technical-wise, you know, workout-wise, what can I do? And I'll do it. Speed is my baby. It's amazing to me that you lost a race, and you were 13, and your instinct is to go print out 
some stories about biomechanics. You know, I knew who I wanted to be and I knew what gift I had and I knew that I was determined to do whatever I can to be better. And so for me, I was like, okay, is there articles I got on Google and, you know, how to get faster, you know, biomechanics. And I used to like print out all of them and I just studied it. If it was terminologies that I didn't understand, I'd go to a track coach because I realized that, you know, you can't always rely on people. Not everybody is going to be able to be there for you when you need them. So I learned how to be self-sufficient. And I didn't have no speed coach at the time. So I'm like, okay, how can I make this work? So for me, it was just like, you know, I'm going to Google and I'm going to watch film. And what did you like about running? Because I feel like a lot of people growing up, running is a punishment, right? You mess up in practice. Oh, go do some suicides. Go run lines. What was it about running that you'd loved? For me, it was it was freedom. I felt like I was on top of the world. It was a zone. You know, it was just like you in tune with yourself, you in tune with what's happening, and it's like a, a tunnel vision. But the feeling of it is amazing. It's like almost an outer body experience. You know, I'm at two and at one with everything that's happening at this present moment. And the, the feeling that you get, the high that you get, it's an amazing high. It is an amazing high, my man. And then to be able to produce force into the ground, and you feel it, and you like, tap, 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 pop, 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 pop. And the feeling you get after it's just like, yeah. This is amazing right here. I'm on top of the world. Carlin chased that runner's high to great success in high school and college, becoming a standout in both track and football. But in 2012, as he was preparing for the Olympic trials, with an outside chance to make the relay team, he was doing what he always did, watching running film on the internet. When he stumbled across some videos of rugby, a light bulb went off. I always wanted to, you know, go to the Olympics and track, you know, play in the NFL, do this, blah, blah, blah. Not one side of my mind did I think I'll do rugby. Hell no. Never. 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 But let me tell you this. When 2012 came, and I'm on the internet, and I'm watching this sport, and I said, you know what? I can still use my gift. So that's how important perspective is. If I didn't have the right perspective, my ego would have still gotten away and said, you know what? Track, 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 track. Football, football, track, 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 football. I'd have never been where I'm at today. So when I saw it, I said, man. I can still run fast. It's a tenacious sport. I'm tenacious. I said, you know, in track, nobody really knows about you unless you're Usain Bolt. I'm still able to use my gift, which is my speed. What if I became the world's fastest rugby player? All those ideas kind of popped into my mind before I even started playing rugby, and I'm watching on the internet. Carlin was only a couple weeks away from the Olympic trials in track, but it didn't matter. The idea had been hatched. He was going to become the world's fastest rugby player. He sent an email to the CEO of USA Rugby and heard back the very next morning. Two weeks from the trials. My goal, my dream. He called me back the next morning. Boom. Put his lineup, packed all my stuff. Moved to Aspen, Colorado. I had like $500 to my name at the time. $250 worth of gas to drive up to Aspen, Colorado. Sleeping on couches, eating peanut butter, jelly, and ravioli. Working in a flower shop. Only playing rugby for about a month. Got invited to USA Development Tour. Despite never having played rugby before, Carlin played well enough on the USA Development Tour to earn a longer-term contract. But... Naturally confident as he is, it wasn't until a few months later that he knew he really belonged in a game against world powerhouse New Zealand, commonly referred to as the All Blacks. When I knew that I could do this was when I first got on the World Series in Australia and Gold Coast, three months playing rugby with the USA team, and I scored my first try against the All Blacks. I was like, yep, this is made for me. Because then I was like, I wasn't playing club no more. The people in club, I thought I was doing, like, I was man, because I'm like tearing people up in club. But I'm just like, once I got to the USA team, I'm like, this is a whole different level of pace. These cats good. And it's like, how am I going to match up against these other people against around the world? I'm like, these people, this is their sport. 
And I'm like, I'm 5'8". I was like 165 at the time, 163. I'm like 179. And I'm a little wing, you know what I'm saying? And I'm just like, how am I going to play out against these people? Am I going to be a bust? And I just started scorching. I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got this. Oh, yeah, see? See, fly, baby. Can't nobody stop you. I just said, yeah. And I just kept building from that. But even then, man, it's still, I feel like I haven't even tapped into my full potential yet. How long had you been playing at that point? When Three months. Damn. I remember I was like so happy. I said, man, playing rugby for three months. I made my first tour, made the first stop. When they put me in, I was just like, just run, baby. Just run. Though he could and did run, Carlin ultimately attributes his successful and surprising transition not to his speed, but to his willingness to shift his perspective, to not let the ego that was still attached to his track and football hopes get in the way of another path to his ultimate dream, making the Olympics. Everything that I envisioned wanted came true plus more. But just because I changed my perspective and I saw things differently, I had a little faith. I also knew that I would work hard and that I know that I can do anything I put my mind to if I work hard. I still wanted to be able to go to the Olympics. I was still able to go to the Olympics. That was my main thing. But I was just doing it in a different sport. So the objective was still the Olympics. Even though it wasn't track, it was still the Olympics. That's how important it is, man. And if some people are so stuck on this is what I want to do, that they fail to realize something else may be better for you. It's, it's seen past what the eye could see, and I did that. It's interesting talking about the ego, right? You did have to be humble in some ways to be like, all right, I'm letting track go for now, and I'm going to rugby. At the same time, you had to have confidence in yourself to do something you hadn't ever done before, which is play rugby. Oh, yeah. Right? I said, well, I got a gift. I said, I'm fast. I like to work hard. I work hard. I'm tough. I'm tenacious. I can tackle. I didn't want to get my teeth knocked out. No, but effort. I said, I'm fast. I said, I ain't going to let nobody catch me. So I was confident in my ability to be fast. And once I knew I was confident in my ability to be fast and I knew that, you know, I could catch, I couldn't pass. I know, okay, I can learn that. But I was like, I had the ability. So for me, when I was confident in that, I knew I was going to work hard to try to do everything I can to make it. And I did. John Hood is the strength and conditioning coach for the U.S. Men's Sevens program. I wanted to talk to John to get some more insight into Carlin and the elite athletes he works with, and to better learn about the physics and biomechanics behind Carlin's speed. Here he is, talking about why having a guy like Carlin is such a huge advantage for USA Rugby. His ability to accelerate from zero to nine, 10 meters a second is unbelievable. And he's easily the fastest person that I've worked with in team sport. But it's a game changer, honestly, because you're playing a a sport that normally has 15 people across a field. This one has seven. So there's half the amount of people and the same amount of space. So if you have a guy like him who can change gears within a nanosecond, he's going to make line breaks. He's going to create more space for everybody else. and, And he does that all the time now, which is awesome. What's the craziest thing you've seen him do? Like, what's the thing that sticks out in your mind when you think of like, holy shit, I can't believe you did that. This would have been a month ago, maybe. He squatted, was it 565 pounds, I think it is. So it's like 240 odd kilos for three. And so this guy is uh, 75 kilos dripping wet. It was moving. The bar was, was moving. Yeah, it's... It scared me too, because, you know, to get that much weight on the bars that we had, it's a bit of a magic trick. You got to wrap bands around it. And there were people all around us, like making sure it wasn't going to come off. And he has this immense 
physical power and strength to do stuff like that. And then he can turn around and, you know, he was sprinting three hours later. And it's like, that's incredible. I mean, a feat of strength like that would wipe some people out for days. And he's out there doing acceleration patterns and all sorts of stuff three hours later. It's just unbelievable. And can you explain why, from a biomechanics or physiology standpoint, having power like that is helpful for someone's speed? The more force that you hit the ground with, likely the more ground you're going to chew up before the next leg hits the ground. So you're covering more distance in the same amount of strides. And then likely the rebound effect, if you hit the ground, say, let's just pull a number out of the hat, 100 newtons of force, right? Totally arbitrary number. <laughs> you had me lost at kilos. Now at newtons, I'm very lost, but it doesn't matter. It's arbitrary. <laughs> just pick a number, 100 somethings. <laughs> okay. You hit it with 100 somethings. That will then throw your leg up at a certain speed, right? But if you hit it with 150 of those somethings, it's going to throw it back up faster. So now you've got already, just because you hit the ground harder, your turnover is going to be a little bit quicker. So that's what is why like some of the best sprinters in the world have such a huge level of base strength. And Carlin, Carlin's one of them. Like The squatting that he can do is mind-blowing. We don't have bars that are strong enough for that anymore. Is that just genetics or like just... just innate athleticism that allows him to be able to do that squat and then go run when it would put other people down? Carlin obviously has a raw genetic gift that gives him an advantage to succeed. However, he is an anomaly because of the way he prepares and how hard he's willing to push himself. I think there's a lot of people out there who possibly had or still have the talents and the abilities that he has, but they don't have the preparation, the mental drive, and the commitment to want to succeed and to want to compete pretty much every day. He's taken what he has been born with, which is amazing in and of itself, but he has made it what he is today. I don't think he's gotten there just from you know sheer genetics. He has made himself where he is. You know That goes back to his approach to preparation because he understands that to make our team better, he's got to be the best version of himself that he can be. And so he's always looking for that 1% of edge. You know, what are other guys doing? What are other researchers publishing that I'm not yet doing that maybe would give me that little bit more? It's worth pausing here on John's point about Carlin always looking for that 1% edge because it gets at something really important to Carlin, his process. Now, it's easy to listen to Carlin's story and think, here's a guy who's more confident than I'll ever be. But as you'll hear him describe, He's plagued with the same self-doubt that I know I struggle with, and maybe you do too. His relentless preparation is the way he hedges against that. Here's what he said when I asked where his confidence comes from. I'm all about the process. My confidence comes from the process. Just always working hard. I think that's where my confidence came because for me, when I worked hard, it didn't matter what I was up against. The outcome was going to be as close as possible to my favor because I did everything I needed to do to go my way. So still now to this day, my confidence comes through my process, but I also know who I am. So I just know my ability and what I can and can't do because I've been in a lot of situations where people doubted me and I proved them wrong. So, How much of running is physical and how much is mental and what is the sort of mental side? Is it getting yourself psychologically prepared or how, what's the sort of mental side of speed for you? Everything mental, man, especially when it comes to speed. Because you got to be confident. You know, you got your little voice. It doesn't matter what it is. You always got that little voice in your head that's telling you, you know, are you good enough? Are you fast enough? Are you ready? Did you do this? Did you prepare the best that you can? If you're running against somebody and they're fast as well, how to be patient and then be confident and not tense up. 
And you got to know how to channel those little voices and try to direct them and not let them direct you. So for me, everything that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis is for me to shut that little voice up. But I'm telling you that the voices in my head and what I need to do, though, it will eat me up if I don't do what I need to do. It will haunt me every freaking day. That's why the process for me is very important because that's how I shut it up. Because when it's time to get on the line, I know that I've done everything I can. But if I don't, then I'm going to be questioning. The mind, you got to know how to juggle it. You got to know what it needs and to be able to shut it off and to be able to be like, you know what? You prepared enough. You're good. So do you still have the voices, like those self-doubt thoughts nagging you all the time? Oh, yeah. It's always there. And they just always nagging. They just always just talking. Boom, boom, talking, talking. And that's why even when you go to dark places, you go to dark places and sometimes in training. You got to push yourself past your limits. And all them voices be eating you up. Oh, you're tired. You did enough. You did it. It's hurting. It's blah, 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 blah. And you got to shut them up and you got to push yourself past your limits. Because if not, then once you get to the battlefield and those feelings of tiredness and those things that creep up, if you didn't remember and realize that I've already been here and I've already done this, I could do it. I'm preparing myself for war, bro. I'm ready to go to war. Because when I step in between the one, if it's a single lane on the track or that rugby field line, I'm ready to go. I'm coming full throttle, baby. And with them little voices, I had to shut them up. And every day, that's the process. I'm a process-driven person, not a goal-oriented person. I don't give a damn. To be honest, I don't give a damn. Whether it's a win or lose, a gold medal or not, of course you want to get that thing. But my thing is, I'm going to do everything I can on a day-to-day basis. So if it doesn't go my way, I'm fine with it because I've done everything I can. Is fear something that motivates you? Or like, what's my your relationship life? with fear? Hey, bro, my whole life. I kid you not. Fear. It drives me. It motivates me. My whole freaking life, bro, was always fear, man. I was scared to be nobody. I was scared to not be successful. I was scared to fail. I was scared to not. And it drove me. Most times, fear of people, it stops them. And it didn't stop me. It drives me. Because I know that what I don't want to be or how I don't want to feel, the outcome, how I don't want that to be. That fear will drive me to make sure I do everything in my process to not let that fear come true. It's a reminder for me. So when I wake up, that little fear, that little voice or that whatever, I don't got time to not do what I need to do today, regardless of how I'm feeling. John says that what Carlin's talking about is actually something that everyone struggles with, not just elite athletes, and that Carlin is especially good at navigating it. This may be more of a tangible to anyone who's not necessarily an elite sport, but either trying to work through a goal or something like that is that voice that comes up that says, man, I'm tired today. I just don't think I've got it in me. And that's a real problem in sevens where you have to play three times a day, sometimes two days in a row, three days in a row. There's a lot of times where you say, man, physically, I'm just not here. Mentally, I'm blown up. I can't perform today. And so that little voice, I think, is another one that Carlin's been really successful in totally owning. He puts himself in positions where he is pretty tired and physically fatigued. And he tells himself, no, you've been through this before. You know what this is like. You can push through this, and he, and he does. Carlin calls this type of pushing through discomfort keeping the objective over the issue, where the objective is a goal and the issue is an emotion or a feeling that gets in the way. In everything you do in life, you can't love based off how you feel. You love regardless of how you feel. You work hard regardless of how you feel because you got to keep the objective over the issue. Because if you don't keep the objective over the issue, the issue will always derail you, and then you never get to your destination. because. There was an issue, there was an emotion that kind of, I'm too tired or, you know, I got too much going on. But regardless, if you keep the objective over the issue, you always keep going forward. 
You always keep knocking you because you know where you want to be. So you do regardless of how you feel. And if you can do that and understand that, outcome always come in your favor. So just a few minutes ago, you mentioned you need to have the ability to not tense up, which it seems to me like sprinting would be quite tense. You're straining to go faster and faster. Like you don't think of someone running a hundred meter dash as being relaxed. So can you help someone like me understand why is it important to relax? A fast muscle is a relaxed muscle. I mean, most people try to tense or try to do more and try to push harder, but you're slowly slowing yourself down. You got to let your body take over. When you're relaxing, you be in that state of mind of relaxation. Now you'll run faster. And you may think that I got to force it. You don't got to force anything. Let your body do what it naturally can and just relax and let it just take you. And when you do that, boy, that relaxation, whew, when you relax, you'd be like, damn, I just feel like I didn't even run that fast. You look at the clock, you're like, now nah, I'm probably running slow. And it's boom, I ran fast as hell. And it's just being relaxed. And that's so important. In any sport, if you can relax, not tense up, you'd be good. But most people get tense or try to force stuff and then they don't perform how they want to perform. When I posed the same question to John, he echoed Carlin, citing the example of golf. When you go out there to absolutely crush a drive, you do, you tense up and you're trying to overdo everything and you're using maybe muscles in a way that they shouldn't. You're not using a full range of motion. Now you're adding a whole bunch of rotation into it and you're going to hack it and slice it all left, right and center. And it's the same if you were thinking about trying to just run as fast and as aggressively as you can. Because then you'll tense up and you'll probably rotate all over the place and you know you won't be loose and free. And so the best way to describe it is if you were being chased by a bear, right? You're not thinking about how you're running and you're probably not even thinking about the bear. You're just trying to think about like getting from A to B as quickly as possible, getting up a tree. And you'll probably be more, I hate to say the word, relaxed in the actual you know, running because you're not even thinking about it. You're just going. So the best way to do it is just to let it all go, shut it down in terms of thinking about the process of doing it and just flow, just let it go. Is there a lesson in that that we can apply to life, like outside of sport, off the track? I think so. So I listened to a podcast just the other day with an ex-pro rugby player, and he was saying that he used to put way too much pressure on each moment, and he defined himself as a rugby star, or he was the guy who kicked the winning goal or whatever. Instead of just letting all of those external things go and just relaxing and actually trying to physically enjoy the moment, whether it's like you're just washing up the dishes, being a world-class dishwasher, or you're actually kicking a goal to win a World Cup, you know, one of those two things, they shouldn't necessarily be that different because you can relax and actually enjoy both. There's just a little bit more pressure riding on kicking a winning goal than washing the dishes. But I think there's possibly too many times where we don't slow down enough to enjoy a moment for what it is. And we're thinking too much about if we're going to succeed or not, what people are going to think about us if we do or don't do it, all those kinds of things, instead of just enjoying it and trying to do it with as much flow as you can. What John's talking about here the ability to enjoy a moment for what it is, is something that has been useful to Carlin in his own journey, and not just because it helps him flow on the track. It's what left him open to the possibility of switching to rugby when he came across it almost a decade ago, and what helped him find confidence to try it in the face of uncertainty. Especially in life, you got to learn how to relax sometimes. And a lot of things in life, we don't like uncertainty. And we try to do things to feel certain, to put the power back in our control, because when you feel certain, you feel safe. And a lot of things that's uncertain, people don't feel safe. So they have to go do something to feel safe. But that don't mean it's always the right thing to do. 
So sometimes you got to sit back and just relax. You know, life will happen. Have some faith. You know, just worry about the present. Not get too far ahead of yourself. When you try to force stuff, you will restrict yourself from a lot of things. And sometimes you got to just let stuff be. And then stuff will unfold. You still scared of the same things you were scared of as a kid? Yeah. Not being successful, all that stuff, even though you know you have those things? Yeah. And to me, I never felt like I've done anything. Which is crazy, bro. I never even patted myself on the back for as much as I've done and overcome in my life. Because I don't dwell on stuff. I don't dwell on accomplishments. I'm always like, what's next? Oh, yeah, you did well. Okay. Next job. But yeah, those same fears still, what's the name? Because I feel like I haven't done anything. But maybe it's a way for me to still be how I need to be because I feel like I'm carrying those same mentalities. And it's kind of like, this is what got you here. So if this is what got you here, this mentality and blah, 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 keep it. Well, if you win a gold medal, or even if you don't, you got to pat yourself on the back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Heck yeah. You're incredible, cool. man. You're inspiring. What you've done is unbelievable. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Though Carlin may not be dwelling on his accomplishments, we can. And I hope you found hearing about them as useful as I did. I know that I can sometimes let the voices, be they fear, self-doubt, anxiety, or all three, get in the way of what I'm trying to get done. Next time they do, I'll try to remember what Carlin said about using that inner critic as grist for the mill, as a way to actually push myself to work and prepare. And, of course, when my motivation is flagging, to always keep the objective over the issue. Then, when it comes time to perform, I'll try to get out of the way, let myself flow, and as Carlin says, just let things unfold. Smarter, better, faster, stronger. We'll be back next week with another episode. So make sure to subscribe if you haven't, and please rate and review if you enjoyed this episode. Thanks to the Seaplane Armada team, Jessamine Molly and Justin Wright, for production, editing, and original music. Thank you to John Wild, Sam Shuby, Jeff Gagnon, Ben Williams, and the whole team over there at GQ Sports for production. And thanks to you for listening. You can find me at Clay Skipper on Instagram or Clay underscore Skipper at GQ.com. Talk to you all next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.